maybe an easier way of looking at it, a more helpful way would be, um, before getting into the nuts and bolts of spiritual warfare, would just to just ask you, what if I was to sort of um, ask you, what, what movie genre most fits the way you see life? How would you respond? Okay, what rom com, romantic comedy? Is that is that kind of how you see? Like, oh, you know, it's kind of we just kind of jolly along, having fun, and sooner or later, you know, I'm going to make Mr. Mrs. Right, and it's going to be great. Yeah, is that kind? Is that you know, kind of the friends kind of thing? That kind of is that you? Some people, that's kind of how you see life. That's how you view it. And maybe no one's even ever said that to you before, and you've never oh, you're sitting there thinking, oh, I think I do. But the question is, is that how the Bible sees life? Or maybe you're more sci-fi. Sci-fi fantasy. <laughs> uh, and you're, you're kind of you're, you're in a bit of a zone, really, to be honest. And maybe you haven't realised it, but everyone else does. And uh, you know, it's just it's all a bit strange. It's all a little bit it's all a little bit off key. Uh, and, and the way you, you, you see life, it doesn't really it doesn't really fit with what everyone else is thinking. Uh, you know, it's all sort of walk speed and weird stuff. And um, maybe maybe even others are you're thinking, yeah, God, I wonder if I wonder if that's me. You know, maybe, maybe that's maybe your maybe your sort of a documentary. You know, it's just, it's just you know you, you just want to know the facts, information. That's that's what you're interested in. Just give me the facts and information so I can live my life seriously and informed. And that, that's how you approach life. I, I want you to think about yourself, and I want you to think what has shaped and what really does. How do I expect life and life to go? Because I was trying to think what film or what film best. Um, sums up the biblical view. It was quite an interesting sort of... Obviously, Dave Lees have got an idea. But um, what, what film most helpfully kind of reflects... Dave has got an idea. Go on. I thought exactly that. You're a very clever woman. Um, no great minds think alike. I, I actually thought Lord of the Rings is probably the closest. Here's why. Um, there's, an, there's an overarching narrative story. There's a sense of... Um, but there's a sense of things, to some degree, having been um, predestined, if you like, but there's also lots up for grabs. There's, there's, there's massive battles and opposition going on the whole time. There is romance. Um, there is adventure. Um, there's, a, there's, there's, kind of, there's, there's heroes and that kind of thing. So I think that is that. Probably, actually, I think it's, 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 it's a good picture. But I think that, I don't know about you, but the first time I saw... Lord of the Rings. I had never read the books, um, so I didn't know how it went. There were moments where I was quite tense, to be honest. What's going to happen now? When you've got four million goblins coming down a wall, about to, you know, you've got surrounding eight people, you think, you know, I'm pretty worried for these guys. And uh, <laughs> um, and there are, um, I'm soft, I'm soft tired. There are there are these there are these moments on the journey, and I think it's the second film, the end of it. Actually, it's a bit of a, and I think actually probably the end of the first and the second one is very unresolved. You think. Resolve it, resolve it. No, you have to wait another year, you know, until the next one comes out. And I, I think that actually, to be honest, it's really important to say that the Christian life is, is very, very romantic. It's all about God searching out a bride for his son. I mean, it's incredibly romantic. And the church is, is his bride. And, and the, the climax of history will be the marriage feast of the Lamb, Jesus and his bride. I mean, it's a huge moment. There's a massive adventure, lots of unknowns. So many Christians, they approach Christianity like some sort of horoscope. God, tell what's going to happen next. He won't. He doesn't. It's not how it works. He'll often give you a clue, leading direction. Sometimes he'll just say, follow me. And you're like, where? It's just where I'm, where I'm going. Ah, I don't know more than that. 
It's, but it's like that. And, um, there's, but there is massive opposition. There are some very, very fierce battles. And you can't avoid them if you want to get to where God's taking you. It's really important you understand that. And, and you, can, you can bury your head in the sand. It doesn't change things. And, and so, I, before we even get anywhere, I just want, to, I want you to know that this part of God's plan is to really renew your thinking so you understand reality as the Bible, God's Word, um, brings it. Because that will stop you from being very, very disorientated uh, and even not massively off course when something happens that you're not expecting, particularly regarding spiritual warfare. So I just want to ask you, are going to let God renew your mind? I'm sure that you will. For those of you that aren't Christians here today, uh, it's revolutionary to understand and know Jesus. It's completely revolutionary. It's not just something you tag on, have a bit of Jesus, have a bit of religion. Everything changes. Suddenly it's not all about you, it's about him. Um, you're, no, you're no longer the, the main character in the story. There's a very big story going on, and Jesus is the main character, and you get caught up in that. Um, so the whole thing is totally revolutionary. So it's, it'll be just important for you, as you're thinking about maybe, is Christianity for me, is Jesus for me? It's important for you that you, you hear this stuff so you understand. Um, you know, we're not, we're not like used car salesmen here. We'll tell you the whole story, not just the, not just the nice bits. So... Um, just to give you a bit of a sense of the Bible and the Bible's comments on Satan, the devil, um, demons, evil spirits, and the like. Nine of the 39 books in the Old Testament, the Bible split in two halves before Jesus, Old Testament, after Jesus, New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's 39 separate books. Nine of them explicitly mention the devil, Satan, demons, etc. Not only nine out of 39. So it's not an overwhelming thing. Nevertheless, where they appear, it's very, very significant. So, for example, in Genesis, right at the beginning, where Satan tempts Eve and Adam and Eve fall into sin, Satan, we see him as the source of that temptation behind that. So, just a small appearance, but a massive role. In the, in the book of Job, he's the instigator there again of Job's difficulties. And so, where he turns up, uh, it's pretty ugly. Um, but you, you'd be wrong to say that he's all over the Old Testament. He isn't. Um, then you get to the New Testament, 21 of the 27 books in the New Testament mentioned. So there's a significant change, um, whereby, particularly in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you see Jesus, a lot of what he does is setting people free from powers of darkness. that have hindered them physically, mentally, in all kinds of ways. A lot of his ministry was um, dealing with demonic dark powers. Um, you have to be really blind not to see that when you read the Gospels, it's right there. And there's never any kind of excuse or explanation or, oh, if you don't believe this, it's just a given that these things are, that these things are going on. And, and so there's only six books in the New Testament, most of them very, very small, three of them are just literally paragraphs, really, just one chapter, that don't mention. He's, he, he's mentioned in all of these others. So it seems like, as the, as the Bible goes on, in terms of its compilation chronologically, that the, the revelation, understanding, and the joint together of understanding the spiritual realities of spiritual warfare and opposition increases and solidifies until it's very, very uh, clearly understood. Um, so, just wanted to give you the heads up on that. Just, I don't want to over, I want to underplay it, trying to give you a sober statistical sense of what we've got in the Bible. Now, it's also important to, I want to introduce Jesus to you a bit because he's so multifaceted that what people often do is that they get a view of Jesus as really caricatured, and what they do, and that happens when you just receive one element of him. So, for example, we say, oh, Jesus is the shepherd. Uh, yes, he is the shepherd who came to rescue the lost sheep, and he will give us 
pastor and look after us. Absolutely, but he's more than that. So it's really important you don't just take on one bit. He's the shepherd. He's also the rabbi teacher who comes to bring wisdom and uh, teaching to our lives. He's also the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by becoming a atoning sacrifice on the cross for our sins, where he bore our sins in his body so we could be released from the debt of our sins and reconciled to God. He's the Lamb of God, but he's also the vengeful and victorious warrior coming to plunder Satan's camp and take and rescue, plunder and spoil and rescue it and come and establish that in his kingdom and that plunder his souls, lives, people. That is a very strong picture through the Bible. And it, it's a very strong Jesus represented there. Incredibly strong. And some of you may even find the imagery uncomfortable when it talks about Jesus in the ways we're going to read about in just a moment. But you need to understand this is part of who he is. So I want to introduce this element of Jesus to you through a few scriptures just to give you a feel for that. First of all, the description of Jesus' mission in 1 John 3 verse 8. You can turn with me or you can just listen and I'll give you the references. You can look them up later if you want to. 1 John 3 verse 8 says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Okay? So the reason he appeared was to destroy. He was doing destructive things as well as constructive things, but the things he's destroying are destructive things. Okay? So the devil's works are destructive. Jesus said of the devil that he comes to steal, to kill and destroy. Jesus comes to destroy what he does. Okay? So his mission is very militant, very forceful, very, very, um, it's, it's come looking for a fight. Um, and then his life is described in these beautiful terms in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. This is the way the apostle Peter describes Jesus' life. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And with power, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So the context of Jesus' healings there is Jesus dealing with the devil. Jesus um, coming against the works of Satan. Um, sin, sickness, um, demonization, they're all seen in the Bible as works of Satan. They are all the way through. It's, it, it, it's in, in a very strong and a very significant way. Um, his death is described in very militant terms. In Colossians 2, uh, verse 15, Jesus' death is described like this. We're told that he disarmed the rulers and authorities. Those words, rulers and authorities, are used to describe different ranks of demonic beings. We'll look at that in our main passage in a moment. But it says, it says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. So not just his, his mission to destroy the works of the devil, his life to release those who are oppressed by the devil, but his death, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. This is how the Bible describes Jesus' mission. Um, and so I guess at this point you might think, well, is there really a fight still on? It sounds like Jesus has just done it. It sounds like this thing should be all over. Well, the Bible describes Satan now as defeated but not yet destroyed. And if you like, the mentality of Satan is most helpfully described in Revelation 12, verse 12. It says this, Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. So Satan knows his time is short. Satan knows Jesus has won. Satan knows the end result is fixed um, through his life, death, and resurrection. It's, it's done. But his, his wrath is great because he knows his time is short. And he is, at, in a sense, at, at the, on the earth at the moment, um, 
with great wrath and malice, looking to do all the damage he can with the short time that he has. And uh, so that's a sense of, um, that is a sense of um, what we're looking at here with uh, the gospel. And uh, one, I just want to read to you now a description of Jesus from Revelation, just so we know who we're dealing with. And, uh, and then we're going to get into the bulk of the message there. I saw heaven opened, Revelation 19.11. I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many crowns. And there's a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe that's in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Yeah, kind of. Uh, if you, it, it, well, the thing with Jesus biblically is this. Is that if you're bowed down and crushed under the weight of your sin, he will tenderly lift you up. If you are puffed up in your pride, he will bring you down. And so you can't just say, oh, Jesus lifts people up. Some people, yes. <laughs> Others he brings down. He really is very, very responsive to the state of our own heart and where we're at. This is the Jesus of the Bible. Risen, exalted, awesome, and the executor of the wrath of God against him. Really important you get this. There's a, um, there can be a real lack, I think, in the church, both of the joy of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. And you haven't got to choose. It's totally appropriate to go mad, dancing, celebrating, clapping, and trembling at the same time because he is awesome. And to just have one or the other leads to some really strange things. You've got just the joy of the Lord and no fear of the Lord. You find people just play really fast and loose for sin. And just think it's cool because Jesus is really nice and really for us. But actually they've, they've, it's a caricature. They're creating their own Jesus. If you've got just the fear of the Lord and no joy of the Lord. You've just got legalism. Harsh, strict environment where people still sin but secretly. Legalistic churches are full of sin but it's all secret. <laughs> yeah, everyone's too scared to admit it. Um, but it's still going on because legalism and harshness cannot deliver you out of sin. Grace can. Only grace can, but grace and holiness are friends. Grace and true holiness. And it's having a proper view of Jesus and knowing the joy and the fear of the Lord that will lead to um, a life that is genuinely uh, kind of walking in the light, which is what he wants for us. No more hiding. So I'm talking now, Holy Spirit, show me. For some of you, you're hiding. And there's no need to hide. You know, the church should be the place where you can come and you are really yourself. Because if you can stand before God as you are, because you know that he's washed you with the blood of Jesus, you can stand before anyone. And you, I need to say this, some of you need to just, you need, some of you need to start confessing the sin to brothers and sisters so you can just, just enjoy the healing that comes through that and the strengthening and the support of good friendship that comes as you just open your life to other people. Others of you need to just start expressing yourself who you really are a bit more. Because some of you, you're kind of one thing on, with your mates here and there or on Facebook and you come to church and you turn to someone else. There's no need. Please don't come here and do that. It's, it's not what we're about. It's not what God's about. He is reality. He is about reality. So it's really, really important. Anyway, look, Ephesians 6. This is where we're going to go. If you've got a Bible with you, turn to Ephesians 6. This is the classic passage. Just to enjoy the healing that comes through that and the strengthening and the support of good friendship that comes as you just open your life to other people. Others of you need to just start expressing yourself who you really are a bit more. Because some of you, you're kind of one thing on with your mates here and there or on Facebook and you come to church and you turn to someone else, there's no need. Please don't come here and do that. It's, it, 
it's not what we're about. It's not what God's about. He is reality. He is about reality. So it's really, really important. Anyway, look, Ephesians 6. That's where we're going to go. If you've got a Bible with you, turn to Ephesians 6. This is the classic passage on spiritual warfare. And we will be in this passage for the next ten weeks, springing out of it. We're going to read from verse 10 onwards. Paul's written a beautiful, amazing letter to the church in Ephesus, assuring them of who they are in Christ and all that God has done for them and how he's blessed them with every spiritual blessing and raised them up and seated them with Christ in their heavenly places and how God's plan is that through the church the wisdom of God should be displayed to demonic principalities and powers and it's incredible when he gets practical about how to live holy lives and how to walk in the light. And then he says, finally, brothers, or finally, chapter 6, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, we thank you for your word. We just say we want to be under your word today. We want the life that is in your word, Lord God, to be imparted to us. We pray, Lord, that the truth that is in your word will set us free as we really grasp it. I pray for revelation and understanding to be released into hearts and minds now. I pray against every work of the evil one in this place, in Jesus' name. I pray against every demonic, uh, demonic fatigue that will suddenly come on people when they're not really tired, but it suddenly find themselves unable to stay awake. We break that now in Jesus' name. We pray against every distraction of the evil one, every discouragement, but suddenly you want to start firing in things in the mind, negative things and uh, accusations and condemnations and cloudy stuff. We break all of that in the name of Jesus. I pray for a protection to be around us individually and corporately, that we might have clarity and peace to be able to hear God's word and receive into the soil of our hearts that it will grow and produce amazing fruit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I just want you to really, please be with me today, guys. Please um, receive as actively as I'm giving. It's really important that it's part of your worship to receive God's word. Um, It would be good for your soul. Okay, we're going to focus on verse 12 today. Um, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where we're going. That's what we're going to focus on today. I'm going to pull out, uh, I think it's four just clear points on that, and see. uh, trust the Holy Spirit will use that as we unpack it. Number one, we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I want to say this to you, if you're a Christian, your fight is not against atheists. Your fight is not against Muslims. Your fight is not against witches. Your fight is not against your boss. Your fight is not against your noisy neighbour. Your fight is not against your bitchy colleague at work. Your fight is against none of those people. In fact, your fight is not against people. The moment you as a Christian begin to position yourself in hostility towards another person, you've lost. Something happens in your spirit, you can't win. Because that's not where God has ordained that you should fight. 
This is so, so important. You've got to see beyond the difficult people in your lives to what's causing that. Because when you learn to see beyond it, then you can begin to engage in that where the fight really is happening. Remember for us when we uh, lived in our flat in South London and we lived next to a nocturnal DJ. It's not a good combination. It's because the baseline starts at about 11pm. And, uh, you know, we was in this flat, three kids, and you'd be lying in bed waiting for it and something. The baseline starts. And you just struggle with real anger. I mean, real anger, you know? There am I, elder of the church, one of the elders of the church down there, just thinking, I want to beat the guy up. I'm not stopping the guy beating up. And uh, real temptation to begin to engage in a violent way. Why? Because you're, you're, my kids are trying to sleep, my wife struggles with insomnia, she's trying to sleep, and all you do is get drunk all day and then put the baseline on at about 11 pm. And you, you understand? You, you feel the frustration, yeah? Yeah. That, that is the temptation. And yet, actually, it's not with the battle. That's not what the battle is. And actually what, what the Lord was calling me to do was to actually befriend and build a relationship with this man and also be able to speak in and say, say, do you know what, this isn't helping me. It's really, it's really, because the battle isn't, the battle isn't there. That's not where the fight is. That's, this is the word of God. It, some of you in this room would have been really badly hurt by people. In fact, you feel my whole life has been shaped by what that person did. And you're holding on to either resentment or unforgiveness or desires for, for you to take revenge or whatever, you're, that is not where you're fighting. You, you cannot win if you're engaging there in a military way. You can't win. Because in God's providence, in God's economy, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You've got to submit to it. There's a humility in saying, okay, I'll submit to this. I'm no longer going to insist that that's the case. I'm going to submit to it. And I'm going to leave those people in God's hand. I'm going to release, forgive them. Say it's okay, no, forgiven isn't saying it's okay. Forgiveness is when you give room for the wrath of God. Let God take revenge, but don't repent. It's really important. I want you to understand that, first of all. You've been deceived if you've drawn battle lines against other people. You've been duped. You've missed what's actually going on there. We are to fight, but not people. That's not to say we never disagree with people. That's not to say we don't confront people. Yes, we do. That's not to say we don't speak up. For those who can't, who have no voice, of course we do, absolutely. But in terms of our, when I'm, if I'm speaking up for a group of people that I think are being oppressed or, uh, or are being abused, in doing so, I don't do so in a way that engages with the people that are doing that wrong in a hostile way. Okay? I, I do it in a way that will speak the truth. It may, I may get hostility back, but that's not what I'm going for, because that's not where my fight is. So, for example... Um, took Levi up to the Lake District um, the, other, the other day for a bit of a toy thing. Great fun. On the way there, dropped off, uh, stopped off at a village to stretch our legs and buy some food. Met a couple of homeless guys, lovely guys, good chat with them. Uh, I thought it'd be good to just on the way back through, just pop in and say bye to them, you know, and just tell them about the Lord a little bit. So we stopped off, found them, and just, uh, so it was, just thanks for all the information you gave us at the start of the holiday. They were very helpful. And just, uh, I could just tell you that you know, Jesus loves you and stuff. And, a really positive first of all, and then one of them started doing kind of getting into spiritual stuff, talking to us about it. We just thought, man, this isn't Christian, this is just kind of this is not the good stuff, this is the dark stuff. And then he started us at the start of the holiday, they were very helpful. And just uh, I could just tell you that you know Jesus loves you and stuff. And a really positive first of all, and then one of them started doing kind of getting into spiritual stuff, talking to us about it. We just thought, man, this isn't Christian, this is just kind of this is not the good stuff, this is the dark stuff. And then he started us wanting us to sort of start sort of fiddling around with his little 
spiritual things. I said, man, I said, we're just not into that. Didn't say it in a hostile way, we're not into that. Boom. <laughs> Boom. You take your son, you get out of here. You spoiled my day. Hostile. But I was, yeah, so I, it's hostile, but I wasn't going for hostility. So you might meet it, but that's not where the fight is. There's a whole different thing going on there. So we need to understand. Number one, our, our wrestling is not against flesh and blood. Number two, you haven't got to go looking for trouble. <laughs> I don't know if that's good news or bad news. You really haven't got to go looking for it. Come on, okay, if it's not there, where is it? Because, you know, no, you haven't really got to go looking for it. Um, uh, you've been, if you're a Christian, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Okay? You've been plundered by Jesus. He has come into the dungeon of your sin and he has rescued you and brought you into his kingdom. He's made you brand new. You're now in the light. You're washed. You're adopted. You're brand new. And Satan knows about it because he's lost you. Right? He knows about it. He knows about you. He is not happy with what's happened. He cannot do anything to get you back into his kingdom, but he most certainly would do all he can to hinder you in your Christian journey and to, and to make it as... Uh, hard as possible, and to deceive and dupe you if he can. Okay, so he knows about you. You need to know that first of all. Um, as you get on living for Jesus, if you're now a Christian, and uh, you will be resisted by the forces of evil. You will be. As you go on living for Christ, you will meet resistance, and God will teach you how to overcome it by his grace and his power. If you get serious about Jesus, if you begin to prioritise praying, if you begin to prioritise fellowshipping, if you begin to prioritise sharing Jesus with people, if you begin to prioritise living a holy life and living humbly and being teachable and being under the scriptures, if you begin to prioritise hating sin, if you begin to get serious about the church and really get involved and give yourself to God's church, if you start being generous and not, not living in that kind of worldly mentality of money but giving and being generous, if you begin to work hard at work because you recognise it's all part of your worship, if you start getting serious about your Christian life, that you really want to live the whole thing for the glory of Jesus. Um, if you just want to start really battling temptation and resisting those things that comes, you will meet opposition. Okay, so I just I guess I'm saying, don't go looking for trouble. Go looking for Jesus. And looking for Jesus, you will find trouble. <laughs> Words of comfort, brothers and sisters. You will. I just want to arm you by showing you what to do when it comes, rather than pretending that you won't. You will. You will. But there are some amazing promises which make us, make us totally convinced you can overcome and that you won't be defeated by it. Though there might be some pretty serious scraps that take place. Number three. The source of the opposition that you will fa face is not physical. That's not, that's not the source of it. Though it may well manifest in the physical... Well, it will manifest one or the other in the physical, natural realm. So I want to just give an example to show you how this can work. There's a situation where Jesus met a woman that was bent double. And the, the Bible describes it in Luke 13, 11, like this. It says, it says, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now, because my observation is sometimes Christians say, is this a spiritual thing or a physical thing? Well, what is it in this situation? It's both. You can, it, is, it is a wrong mentality to compartmentalise and say, oh, you know, oh, someone's, oh, someone, some, someone's, someone might say, oh, someone's got depression. Well, well, should we pray or should we get medication? And then what they're saying is, because we don't know if it's spiritual or physical, well, why does it have to be one or the other? It's really important that you, that you don't have a worldview that compartmentalises. I think particularly Western Christians really do have that mentality. But throughout the Bible, we see frequently that something from the, the, the spiritual realm breaks in 
but it breaks into the realm that is physical and we can see and touch, if you like, with our, uh, with our senses. Um, Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, it's about his thorn in his flesh. I prayed for three times that the Lord would remove it. But it seems that he's praying about persecution and insults, that he was being chased around the world by the Jews, constantly trying to kill him. It seems like, in the context, that's the thorn in his side. But actually, he describes it as a messenger from Satan. It's a demonic thing. So these Jews constantly haranguing him around the Mediterranean world, chasing him, persecuting him, trying to kill him, were being demonically inspired, and it was Satan that was Satan was obviously behind that. And so there will be things that happen in your life, in either through other people opposing you, or or even at times physical infirmity and sickness, and all kinds of stuff that actually the source of it is not in just the natural. And so you need discernment because sometimes the source of it is in the spiritual and you've got to tackle it in the spirit. You can't just tackle it in the natural. You've got to tackle the thing in the spirit. It's very important uh, that you do that. You can't, some things can't just be explained on a merely a natural level. Um, if you are a Christian, you will have experienced opposition, but you may not have understood it and diagnosed it properly. You may have thought, well, I don't want to be one of Christians that talks about the devil all the time, so I just won't talk about the devil. That's, that is not the solution to not becoming a Christian. Talk about the devil all the time. Just don't talk about him all the time. Because he's just an avoidance otherwise. Jesus spoke about the devil. All the Bible writers speak about the devil. It's okay to talk about the devil. Just not all the time. He doesn't deserve that kind of credit. Talk about Jesus all the time. But acknowledge the reality of Satan. If you don't understand and diagnose it properly, you won't respond effectively. You'll respond in ways that it's not hitting the thing. It's coming from over there and you're fighting over here. It's like, no, you need to get some people praying or praying and fasting or you need to, you need to give some focused attention to that spiritually. It's really important. Otherwise, something's coming from the spirit realm when you're tackling it in a merely, I don't know, just in the natural realm, it's not going to be effective. It's very, very important. So that's the third thing. So number one, it's not against flesh and blood. Number two, you haven't got to go looking for trouble. Number three, the source of much opposition you experience is not from the natural realm. So you've got to be discerning in that. And, uh, and then number four, it, we've got this interesting list of, list of things in Ephesians 6 that we fight against. He describes them as uh, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. You sci-fi people love that. Hey? Um, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Why are these different descriptions? It's very developed. It's very kind of... What's going on about? Um, well, it does seem like throughout Scripture there's enough evidence. It's not massive, but enough evidence to go on to say that just as in any army there are ranks, that there are ranks of demonic beings, as there are, we know there are angelically, archangels. Archangels means the first, the primary angels, Michael, and you've got Gabriel seems important, and you've got others that are, there's ranks. Likewise in the demonic realm, rulers, authority, principality, there are, there are ranks of demonic beings. Now, I don't want to get into that too much because I don't think that the Bible does. So if you do, then you're kind of speculating. But it's there. And the point I want to make really is, is this, is that there is an array of malicious spiritual beings that will be opposing you. They are not the souls of departed people. There's nothing in the Bible to make us believe these are the souls of departed people. But most likely, it seems, much more likely are Fallen angelic beings. In any army, there are ranks, that there are ranks of demonic beings, as there are, we know there are angelically, archangels, archangels, means the first, the primary angels, Michael, and you've got Gabriel seems important, and you've got others that are, there's ranks. Likewise in the demonic realm, 
rulers, authority, principality. There are, there are ranks of demonic beings. Now, I don't want to get into that too much because I don't think the, the Bible does. So if you do, then you're kind of speculating. But it's there. And the point I want to make really is, is this, is that there is an array of malicious spiritual beings that will be opposing you. They are not the souls of departed people. There's nothing in the Bible to make us believe these are the souls of departed people. But most likely, it seems, much more likely are fallen angelic beings who followed Satan in his rebellion against God. So were previously angelic beings around the throne of God worshipping. But when Satan um, looked to usurp the authority of God and be worshipped himself, took a third of the angels with him, the Bible suggests. And that's who these principalities and powers will be. And their aim is to resist you spiritually, much like in a wrestling match. Now let's just think about wrestling for a moment. Three different moves. We, we, went, on a, we went on a haven holiday last year. And they had wrestling. So we got to see that. So we got, it's a cultural experience. So we went to see the wrestling. With these big foam hands, with big thumbs, things you point and you chant. I mean, it was like an amazing cultural experience for us. But we've got to do it while we're here. And all these guys are on with their leotards and their masks and all of that. You know, it's a great show. But anyway, here's my observations on, uh, my observations, there are three main moves on wrestling. And uh, here they are. Number one. I didn't think you were going to get this, did you? Hey? Strangleholds. It's, a lot of wrestling is about holds. If we can get you into a hold, then, then, then I've got the upper hand. So part of Satan's aim is to get you into a hold. Why? So that you can't move. That's the aim. He doesn't want you moving. He, he, he doesn't want you um, stretching, expressing, displaying the work of God in your life. He doesn't want you using the gifts that God has given you. He doesn't want you expressing whom God has made you. He will use all kinds of different tactics and strategies. We'll focus on that next week. But in order to get you to a place where you're fundamentally in paralysis, you're paralyzed. You're not really free to express all that you should be. And it's a horrible place to live. It's a horrible place to live. You imagine someone you know, bent over, bent double, with someone sitting on top of them. I mean, that is what we're talking about here. It's, it, it, this isn't pretty. This is ugly stuff. And the whole aim is to get you tied up in knots so you can no longer express whom God has called you to be and what he's put in you. Strangleholds, number one. Then there are blows. Just blows. I mean, just plain old bang. You know, all the, I don't know what all the different moves are called, but you know, you send someone to get to come back at you, and you just whack them, and they're down, and you just jump up on, stand up on the pole, and you just jump on the pole and you just land on the, you know, I mean, it's kind of nasty stuff. Blows. Now, the idea with blows is this. The idea with blows is that it leaves you confused, dazed, disorientated, and hurt. There will be blows that come. Sometimes, one after the other. And you think, what the heck? is going on here. You're hitting some opposition. You, you are hitting some stuff, and the whole aim is to disorientate you, so you start thinking, oh, what did God say again? Oh, what should I be doing again? To hurt you, so you think, flip, I don't want that again. You've heard that? Someone said you think, I don't, didn't like that. You know, I don't do that again, because that could happen again. You know, that's the whole aim, to get you to just kind of back off, and just lose your bearings. That's the aim. And, uh, and the third thing is good old-fashioned intimidation. If you can 
posture around and pull a nasty face and make a nasty noise. Do you know what? You do it well enough, the other person might just run away. And that's sometimes Satan's aim is to just freak you out. And some of you are freaked out as I'm preaching. Satan can actually use a sermon on spiritual warfare to make some of you think, I'll blow this. I like the sound of that. And as a result, you just kind of back away and you really, you, you, you've lost. Because you just kind of surrender. You think, that oh, it just looks painful. Don't want that. Well, in the coming weeks, I want you to see a few things. We want you as elders to see that it's God's plan. Number one, that those who are not yet Christians get rescued, change sides, and engage in the fight. And I want to be really upfront with you if you're here and you're, someone, you're not a believer, or, you know, you've never given your life to Jesus, the Bible does not talk about three categories or three sides, you know, kind of light, darkness, and kind of middle shade. It's light and it's darkness. And the Bible says that we are all born in the kingdom of darkness, captive to sin, and we need to be rescued from that kingdom into the kingdom of light. And I'm not speaking to you as someone who's kind of on higher ground. I myself was rescued by Jesus age 18, and ever since that time, the last 20 years, been telling people because they get rescued, it's incredible. It's amazing to know the rescue of Jesus. And I want to say you can be rescued today because Jesus has totally beaten the devil at the cross. Um, he's totally beaten everything that stood in the way of you and God. He's taken your sin into his body. He's paid the price. He's risen from the dead. He welcomes you to himself. Okay? He welcomes you to himself. So that, that is God's plan to, to, to rescue people so they change sides and get into the fight. Number two, I want to see you trained and prepared to fight and win. I want to see you skipping. I remember the first time I, I used to box in, the first time I went skipping, it was humiliating. You got this guy's in this on one leg and flipping it around, and you know, it's like Rocky, I'm a tiger, and you're like going. <laughs> yeah, it was terribly humiliating. But sometimes, actually, it's a bit like that when you're learning spiritual warfare, because you just feel a bit of a donkey, and you go, oh, no, I'm going to get this. You will get it, just don't give up. Yeah, God wants us to be trained and prepared so we can fight, not just fight, win. God wants us to live with a sobriety, that we're sober and that we're focused, um, not unaware of the devil's schemes. It's not a rom-com, it's not a romantic comedy, it's not, okay? There's some serious stuff going to come our way. We've got to be ready, we've got to be on it so we can fight and we can win. Next, that you refuse to both retreat or surrender. But you stand your ground and keep pushing forward. Absolutely. You don't give any ground. No, 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 no room at all. No, no compromise. You can't bargain with the evil one. You just got to beat him through, through the power of Jesus Christ. And finally, that you understand the mission of the church is warfare. And it must be seen that way. You must understand that. To engage in a gospel community is to engage in war. That's what it is. We're, these things are going somewhere. They're, they're missionally focused. We, we are obeying. We've been enlisted by our captain and we're obeying his orders to make disciples of all nations. Reach out, shine, show the love of Christ. Fellowship. Just developing. For some of you, this is such a battle. Just developing good, real relationships in the church. And it's a battle because the devil does not want you to. doesn't want you to learn to trust the Christians. He wants you to live in this fear-ridden cave where you just assume that they're, 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 they're going to hurt you. And so you just stay in the and that's, that's it. And as a result, you don't mature. And you don't grow. The mission of the church is warfare. Prayer meetings, they're warfare. It is. We're, these things are going somewhere. They're, they're missionally focused. 
We, we are obeying, we've been enlisted by our captain and we're obeying his orders to make disciples of all nations. Reach out, shine, show the love of Christ. Fellowship, just developing. For some of you, this is such a battle. Just developing good, real relationships in the church. And it's a battle because the devil does not want you to. Doesn't want you to learn to trust Christians. Wants you to live in this fear-ridden cave where you just assume that they're, 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 they're going to hurt you. And so you just stay hindered and that's, that's it. And as a result, you don't mature. And you don't grow. The mission of the church is warfare. Prayer meetings, they're warfare. You know, it's not, it's not just tiredness. Some Tuesday morning, sometimes it's just discouragement. You get up and you think, oh, blow this. You have to shake it off, you know. God help me. You know, some of you probably can relate to that. I have a tendency to wake up just, whatever side I get out, it's the wrong side, you know. Just have that tendency, first thing, I'm not feeling good. And you go and you share a room with Foxy for the night, it's a nightmare. He wakes up, he bounces out of bed and he's singing the praises of the Lord. It's going to sort beat him up, really, you know. And, uh, but, you know, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. It takes me a while. Do you know what I mean? It takes me a while. And uh, sometimes it's just the way I'm made. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a discouragement thing. You know, it's just you're just feeling really heavy and negative. I don't even know why. Is it? So just a, a demonic dream. You know, sometimes that, that's nasty. You, there's three sources of dreams. Just yourself, you know, stuff that's gone on in the day. God. And then there's just the demonic stuff, which is just, you know, terrible dreams. You wake up and think, did I really dream that? You're horrified with shame or very often it was just flown in straight from the pit you know it's, it's warfare so I'm going to get there because I'm going to pray because it's praying is we've, we've got a whole week on prayer in this in this uh, series and sharing Jesus just getting the word Jesus out of your mouth people don't know <laughs> that's warfare that's really really warfare so I'm going to leave you three short encouraging scriptures then we're done for the day the first is Romans 8 37 I want you to meditate on these over the week if you looking for verses to meditate on. It talks about all kinds of difficulties that Christians face. And in Romans 8, 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not just more than a conqueror. You can do it! No, through him who loved us. Through Jesus. Right? It's about Jesus. Right? Just, it's, this isn't Christian bravado. It's Jesus is victorious. His eyes are a flame of fire. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. He's got his robe dipped in blood. He's... He's got this tattoo on his thigh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's scary. And he's one. And I'm with him. You know? So it's like, I'm going to overcome because I'm with him. You know, I'm on the back of his horse kind of thing. And that, that's the idea. Okay? In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And in James 4, verse 7, really important one. Um, very, very important one. Um, James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's really important you take both halves of that verse. Some Christians try and resist the devil, but they're not submitting to God. They're messing around with sin, they're being unteachable, they're being proud, you know, they're kind of playing fast and loose with all kinds of danger. They're playing with fire, basically. And then they try and resist the devil and wonder why they just get pummeled. Submit to God. Just, just please, humbly, he knows best. Do it his way. Submit to God. Now, okay, you're safe. Okay, now what? Resist the devil and what? He will flee. He will flee. There's a promise for you. There it is. He will flee. He will run. And then uh, finally, 1 John 5, verse 18. Again, it's a similar thing. We know that everyone who has been born of God, that means someone who's been born again, who has become a Christian, does not keep on sinning. 
That doesn't mean that they never sin. It means that they, don't, they, they no longer practice sin as their lifestyle. If you're still practicing sin as your lifestyle and you're saying you're born again, there's some pretty big questions that need to be asked. Right? So says, listen, we know that everyone who's been born of God doesn't keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one says, does not touch him. Actual, the word that brings that out in the most vivid way is, is, is the literal translation is, and does not attach himself to him. So the evil one does not attach himself to him. Um, the devil can't just attach himself to you as you're walking with God. He will try and, he moves on you and all the rest of it. He has no authority to simply attach himself and just stay there. Resist him and he will flip. Okay, so Jesus has won. He's going to take us with him into his victory. Our whole confidence is based on the fact that we are joined with him through faith. So everything that is true of him becomes true of us. This is the gospel. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, let me just urge you to come to know the Lord Jesus. Don't make it complicated. It's not a complicated thing, um, and sometimes people make it so complicated, it really isn't, but it does involve confessing your sin. Who remembers Daniela Westbrook from EastEnders? She was um, Grant and Phil's sister. Do you remember her? Probably a bit young. Anyway, um, well, she just got, um, last time I read about her in the newspaper, she was in bits because she got really badly into heavy drugs and really bad stuff, and so much so that her, her whole nose kind of, through snorting, just was kind of caving in. I mean, it was a really bad scene. And uh, recently, just read in the magazine, she's just been amazingly saved. She's just got incredibly saved. She was in Arizona, lying, lying, sleeping outside, I think probably by the Grand Canyon or somewhere, and just said, Lord, if you're there, show me. And then a couple of days later, some people from church just gave her, oh, I'll come to our church. It was a simple thing to come to our church. So she went along with her husband and kids, and she just got totally saved. Uh, just amazing. Just hear, reading it was so moving. And... Um, she just described it, the church she went to. She, so they went to this church, it was amazing. It wasn't like anything we'd known before. They were kind of singing and crying, and you know, God was just at work. And then they drove, they, they flew back to the UK, and they couldn't stop talking about it. And then they went back out there and to that same church, and all the way back out, I think it was to California, the actual church was. And she, she said she went to the front, and she just confessed her sins, she gave her life to Jesus. And just to hear her talk about Jesus, that's beautiful. And uh, he changes and he restores lives. Do you know this? Do you know this? If you don't know this, he wants this for you. He really does want this for you. And, um, you know, uh, I just, I don't, I don't, you know, I can't make any, anything do that. But I, want to, I do want to tell you that if you're not a believer, Jesus loves you and has died for you. Um, don't put off getting saved. Don't put off coming to know. Don't put off getting forgiven and finding new life. Um, it's really, really important. Let's just close our eyes together. Just before God.